Welcome to the Go Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. We're talking about fall flowering plants. Last week was fall garden crops. This week, what can we plant in our landscapes to give us a nice end of the growing season flower show? And you know, I'm not doing this by myself. I am joined, as always, every single week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. Did you get your fall garden planted yet? I got, so I got the, I got the thing seeded, which I did during the podcast recording <laughs> last week. And that's about as far as I got. But if, if I can get out of here in time, I'm going to go, I, I actually got my seed that I ordered. Remember we talked about ordering garlic. I got the garlic ordered. I got some extra seed ordered. I got some fall beets. I got some fall cabbage. Uh, I got some, some turnips. I am going out into the garden after this, and I am seeding that with my uh, with my cedar that I have a little push cedar. So I'm I'm it's going to get done. How about yourself? We got I got the uh, our lettuce. So we had seeds left over from the spring, so I didn't have to buy any of these. So I had lettuce, we had carrots, beets, radishes, and some peas. So it's all planted. Hopefully, it comes up. Mm-hmm. Still need to, I haven't ordered my garlic yet. I need to do that, but I can't remember what our uh, login information is <laughs> for the seed company. I got to find that before uh, I do that. Might have. Oh, hopefully it doesn't boil down to uh, make a new email and create a new account <laughs> kind of deal. But well, I think I could still do it as a guest, but that may be what happens. I love having an account with the seed companies because then I can go back and look what I ordered last year. Uh, because I might not always write it down at home. So it's nice having those accounts. Or the, or the seed packets get thrown away and I have no no idea what I did. Oh, yeah. Or the seed packets get wet and sometimes the ink runs and you can't read them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. Oh, yeah. So, Ken, today we are going to be talking about flowers that can bloom in the fall that are going to give us a nice fall color. I, I think there's another added benefit to this. Um, and this idea of maybe a late season nectar pollen source for some of our, our pollinators. Um, that it, is this like important to have a late season nectar pollen source um, for, for some of our insects? Do we have a lot of them that are still active even late on in the growing season? Yeah. So yeah, when, you know, if you've ever listened to one of my presentations, you've probably heard this dozens of times, but you know, when we think about our typical landscape, we do a really good job kind of that peak bloom season that may to august time frame we usually have a lot of stuff blooming in the fall and the early in the spring are usually kind of when we're, we're lacking um and at least in my opinion those are some important times in the spring we have things emerging from overwintering uh, that need to to feed so they can build their nests and lay eggs and all that fun stuff and in the fall we've got things that are going to be overwintering whether that's you know, some of the wasps, which I know people don't necessarily like, but a lot of wasps and stuff. Bumblebees will overwinter as mated queens, mated females. So they're, they've got to build up some of those, those fat reserves and stuff so they can make it through the winter so they can emerge in the spring. Things like monarchs, which are migrating, they need flowers so they can feed. So again, they can have that energy to make it all the way down from Canada, Illinois, all the way down to Mexico and stuff. So the fall is going to be an important time for those insects overwintering, particularly as adults. Uh, so they can build up those reserves or, or migrate to where they're going to be going. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned monarchs, Ken, and a lot of the 
some of that more recent research seems to suggest that the the monarch North American monarch population as a whole is fairly resilient in terms that they when they make it they they migrate to Mexico and then they come up from the spring every spring early summer when they make it to the Midwest and Canada they're really able to build up their population levels it seems like that squeeze to that population comes in that fall migration time period where maybe there's just not the habitat or the resources for that long journey from Canada for some of them all the way back down into Mexico. So uh, I, I guess some of these plants can be considered a little bit of a fuel or a pit stop for some of our migrating monarchs. Yeah, and a lot of times we think monarchs, people are focused on that milkweed, which DDoS will feed on, but their primary, I would say they're primarily feed on other flowers uh, for that nectar. So those other flowers are just as important uh, as the milkweed if you're if you're trying to help monarch populations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd say let's dive maybe right into one of the things that seems to be tied into kind of that monarch migration pattern, and, and that's the goldenrods. It always seems like the goldenrods start to bloom when it is time for those um, those monarchs, especially the central, uh, those central here in North America, maybe not east and west coast. Goldenrod starts blooming. A lot of times those monarchs have begun their migration, which is typically... And we don't like using holidays as, as like benchmarks, but usually like the Labor Day holiday weekend is a, a good frame of reference for when they would typically start blooming and the monarchs would typically start migrating southward. Um, but I, I will say I have become a bit of a, a goldenrod freak in that I, I am growing several different types, except for one type, Canadian goldenrod, which is a native species, but horribly, horribly aggressive. And uh, I, I won't on purpose plant that one in my garden. But I have a couple other ones I'd like to share and I can go ahead and we, we can pop up images here. So if you're listening, apologize, but we do have a YouTube video um, version of this and we'll pop up images of some of the plants that we're talking about. Um, the first one that I'd like to share is actually a cultivated version of goldenrod. It's a uh, fireworks goldenrod. Um, so it's uh, Soledego rugosa and this is a kind of a, a fine leafed, fine textured flower, uh, very lacy, very dainty. Um, it one of my favorites, uh, uh, goldenrod. So fireworks goldenrod. I think it is actually called a, a common name is like wrinkle leafed goldenrod. But it is, it is just, and it looks night neat right now in the garden. I mean, it's this this kind of arching stems and that's cascading down there's no flowers yet but the texture itself is is very interesting especially in, in, like in contrast with some of like the cone flower and stuff that's around it with bigger leaves a bit more coarser texture so you know my my first um goldenrod to share is the actual cultivated version it's called fireworks and so i yeah check it out folks it's it's pretty neat that's a little bit smaller one isn't it it is smaller it's a bit more contained but I would still say it is kind of this multi-stemmed arching. This is kind of arching stems it, uh, that is about waist high, I would say. Um, and I, I just, I really like where I have it in my uh, pollinator garden at home. Do you grow any goldenrods, Ken, on purpose? Yes, we've got a couple. And um 
the plant tags that I put on the ground are broken off, so I need to go through and <laughs> <laughs> look at my order history and figure out uh, what they are. But I think zigzag is one mm -hmm. we've planted. If I remember it, that's is that the one that can tolerate a little more shade? That's it. It's more of like a woodland type okay. species. Yeah, because we planted that one in our that's one we must plant in our backyard in our shade garden area. I don't think I've taken any pictures of it, so I have no pictures to provide. Oh, I got some because that okay. that's <laughs> one I planted also. It and I have the the leaf of the zigzag goldenrod. The leaf is serrated to the point it looks like a, a dangerous saw. You know, it, it they're highly serrated leaves, um, and the name that zigzag name. So the flowers kind of zigzag up that that central stalk there, and I like this one. It does spread though. I will say that much. So put it in the woods if you can, especially in the fall where there's nothing blooming, at least in my woods, as everything's fighting honeysuckle at that point in time. So Ken, is there another type of goldenrod that that you might grow? You mentioned you might have a, a few of them, uh, one of them being zigzag. Are there any others that, that might be living in your yard? I'm trying to think of maybe stiff, I think, possibly. Mm -hmm. Maybe <laughs> I, did, I didn't do my homework. <laughs> you gotta organize those plant tags, Ken. I, I stick them in the ground and they get broken off, and yeah, that's the end of it. No, I I I'm in the same boat. Well, actually, my plant tags go into one central container that's sitting in my garage, and that doesn't help because it's all mixed up with everybody else there. And I'm like, who is who? Especially when you're dealing with goldenrod. So you almost have to go back to like the goldenrod fact sheet or compendium to figure out who's who. But I, I say stiff goldenrod is definitely one that I also have. Um, kind of true to its name, the leaves are fairly sandpapery, kind of stiff, um, more rigid. And the, I think they're taller. They're not as branched as the fireworks one, but they're, they definitely have a different coloration texture to the leaves. And again, has that, that white, or not white, has that yellow uh, bloom color. And I, I, I really like this one. I don't see this one being as aggressive in the garden as like the zigzag goldenrod was or has been. And um, definitely not as aggressive as like Canadian goldenrod. Yeah. And whatever goldenrod it is we have in our, our front yard in our, our boulevard hell strip median, whatever you want to call it, gets a little tall. That's right by our driveway. So it makes it difficult to see the road. <laughs> so what I've been doing last Last year and this year too has been basically shearing it off, making it a little more bushy brancher to help keep it a little short. And I've been somewhat successful in keeping it down. So if you do have to get a taller one, that could be something you can try mm -hmm. to kind of keep it a little, a little shorter if you <laughs> put it too close to your driveway and block your view. Yeah. On your driveway. Well, that that reminds me. So sometimes people do call into the office and they say, I've got a problem with Canadian goldenrod. Yeah, it, it, it's aggressive. It takes over. What can I do to stop it? And probably one of the best control remedies there is right before it's about to bloom, you mow it. And that removes that bloom, cuts off seed production. And that plant has put a lot of energy into creating those blooms and vegetative growth and the, and the like. And to suddenly just lose all of that, all of that mass and the photosynthetic ability to recuperate does set the plant back. So probably if you have a large scale area fighting Canadian goldenrod, mow it right before it blooms. And that'll prevent any seed production. 
mm-hmm. too, which can get you <laughs> in trouble too if you don't. A lot of trouble. Get that Neighbor, control. Neighbors will be calling you. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Ken, and the other thing is, um, uh, does does your wife have all kinds of uh, allergy responses to this goldenrod that you planted in the yard? How? Why would she let you do this? Um, she'd be sneezing all day, right? That is, that is one of those things that just doesn't seem to die. So, yeah, so goldenrod uh, gets blamed a lot for allergies, seasonal allergies, particularly in the fall, um, because it's got these nice showy flowers. We notice it blooming. The real culprit, or what's typically the culprit, is going to be ragweed, which has kind of green, non-distinct flowers that you don't really notice. Um, so that's what's what's causing your allergies. It's wind pollinated. Typically, I can say always, but typically plants that are causing allergies a lot of times are going to be wind pollinated. They're releasing all that pollen into the environment, and that's what you're going to be allergic to. You know, I'm not an allergist, but my understanding is typically those insect pollinated are not really going to be causing any allergies because they're not releasing that into the environment. They're relying on insects to move that around. Mm-hmm. Um, but because goldenrod has those nice showy flowers that are blooming at the same time as ragweed, it gets blamed for um, seasonal allergies and stuff. And yeah. Emily Swihart did a good growing article on that. We can link uh, to that in the show notes and you can read more about that if you like and help spread the word. It's not goldenrod's fault. Yeah, it's goldenrod. It's just the it's plant wrong place, wrong time, right? It's yeah. uh, it's it's unfortunate. So um, the thing causing your allergies is ragweed pollen. Oh my goodness. Well, we have a lot more other than a goldenrod. If you aren't willing to dip your toe into that golden pond, then we can move on from there and talk about its companion plant, at least here in Western Illinois. And that is going to be our blooming New England aster. Ken, do you have any of those uh, fall asters in your garden? Oh, yes, yeah. so we do have New England aster. Um, that is one we planted. We just did the straight species. And I know um, the purple dome is one of those, those more popular, commonly found uh, native artists, cultivars, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we, we have the straight species and it's, you know, it's got the nice purple flowers, yellow centers. It's a, it's a pretty attractive plant. Mm-hmm. I, I did plant purple dome in my yard last year and it didn't come back up this year. That's probably because when I bought it, like the bottom two thirds of the plant was just dead leaves. And that's just the top <laughs> part was green. And so it was one of those sick cases where I, I bought a plant that was already dead um, and put it in the ground and expected it to live. But it, I don't think it did. Um, maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe I'll find it hiding somewhere in the garden bed. But um, yeah, my pollinator garden bed is uh, was all ditch lilies, day lilies, and I have slowly been beating them back. But every once in a while, they move back into a place where I've already planted. So it's a constant battle, and pretty soon I will win because I I will not yield to a ditch lily. Lilies buy it on sale. Yes, Your purple dome. Yes, I bought it on sale, got a heck of a deal, and then. Got a heck of a dead plant. There's a reason you got a heck of a deal. Exactly. Um, Purple Dome is a pretty neat plant, though. I w- I, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try it again. It looks, I think it, when I first saw a picture of it, I thought it was a mum. It is like that compact and that rounded of a habit. Um, fooled me, but it is a New England aster. Purple Dome grows anywhere from like, like thigh, or not thigh, probably shorter than that, probably knee to shin height maybe ankle, ankle's a little short, but 
between those two uh, human and anatomical regions. Um, Depending on how tall you were. Exactly. Yes. Um, my six-year-old waist high, you know, so it all it is all relative, but I will say I'm going to try it again. I, I would be excited if it would survive this time. I probably need to actually spend some money on it, though. There's always next time. Always the Rose. next for sale. <laughs> and another one we grow is uh, is calico aster. So this is more of a woodland species, too. So this is another one. Um, last few years, we've been kind of focusing on the backyard where we've got one more shade. Uh, so this is one we put in there. It's got uh, white. It's most kind of pinkish flowers on it. But this is another one. I haven't had any disease problems and it hasn't had insects on it. So I haven't really taken any pictures of it. <laughs> so it's the only pictures <laughs> I ever take. <laughs> there's no bugs and there's no problems with this plant. You don't need a picture of it. Yeah, I'm sure there's been pollinators, but I haven't had a camera when they've been on there. So see if I can track down a picture to put in, in here for people to see it. But um, again, it, it can take some shade. So if you've got shade areas that that you want to get some color in. Um, calico aster would be one. I think it pairs pretty well um, with the zigzag uh, goldenrod too. I've never tried that one. I'll have to I'll have to look into it. If I can't come across a purple dome on sale uh, this year. So well can another favorite purple flowering fall plant of mine is Veronia, which is ironweed. Um, actually, I was out on the, in the prairie just this last weekend, and the prairie, or the straight species of ironweed, it's a prairie species, um, is starting to bloom right now. So a little bit earlier than you might think, but the cultivated form that I grow, it's called iron butterfly. I believe it was selected by Alan Armitage, who, if you don't know who that is, he wrote uh, Herbaceous Perennial Plants, um, the very well-renowned book. And so uh, he's he's kind of a noteworthy plantsman uh, and he selected iron butterfly, which is a type of ironweed that uh, blooms a little bit later in the season, has fine textured flowers, uh, fine textured foliage as well. And it's something that I've also incorporated into my garden. I really like this plant paired up against some of my uh, black-eyed Susans, some of my taller ones. And this is a bit of a taller plant, waist high, if not a little bit taller than that. Um, and it is just, I, I absolutely love it. It's its a great plant, kind of like that fireworks goldenrod. The texture of the leaves is an ornamental trait in and of itself. So even if it's not blooming right now, it still looks great. And it's a, it's a nice addition to any pollinator garden. Yeah, that is not one I have grown, but I think I need to add it. I'll see list. if I can get any babies off mine coming up and, and start handing them out. I don't know. It, it's not really, doesn't seem like it's ready to divide yet, considering it's only been in the ground for two years now. Well, uh, almost a year, almost two years, year and a half-ish. Give it a little more time. Yeah. So you mentioned um, Black-Eyed Susan with your ironweed. Is that, are you doing the just straight? regular black-eyed season or is that a different type that you're doing? i i am not sure for the taller ones what is being grown i am going to assume that it is the old-fashioned goldstrom cultivar it just looks like goldstrom um about later on in the in the month of august the leaves are going to get diseased they're going to get covered in 
um, was that Septoria, I believe, or mine are already covered. Yeah. So once I have, and, and so I, I'm fairly certain that's what I have for black eyed Susans. However, I, this year decided that I love that perennial plant of the year so much, which is a black eyed Susan. And the name is American gold rush. So this is a kind of like purple dome master. This is a much shorter, much daintier black eyed Susan creates these mounds um, of, a, of kind of that, that form of a mounded habit. And I planted it late spring this year. It is loaded in flowers right now. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and if this plant performs like this every single year, I'm, I'm going to be in love and I'm going to be planting more of it. Um, so check out, uh, it's a, it, it is a hybrid. It was actually developed here in Illinois. So it is a native species to Illinois technically, even though it's been hybridized. Um, but American Gold Rush, it's a uh, Rutavecchia. No, I think our, our next plant on the list is another black-eyed Susan, but not our, not our typical, and that's sweet black-eyed Susan. That's not one I've grown or really familiar with. And I think that's more, I have seen that one growing up against a woodland, kind of in that, that partially shaded area. Uh, intermixed with other native plants like jewelweed um, and and some of our our lower growing grasses uh, like cytoats grandma blue grandma stuff like that and out in the wild that that sweet black eyed susan is is really impressive this is wall of yellow as you walk into the woods um, I don't know how well it would perform in a yard though but if someone has a bit of a bigger space um, that can take a little bit of partial shade or has a bit of partial shade. Sweet Black Eyed Susan, um, which I believe that's the subtomentosa uh, one, is would would be something that could perhaps work in that situation. Yeah, looks like it's also called Sweet Coneflower. Mm. So maybe another name you see. And I, I mentioned, Ken, that I was in a prairie this way, last weekend and another flowering plant that I came across that is just starting to, actually the flowers aren't even quite developed yet, but it's a really interesting flower is the bottle gentian flower, which bottle gentian is actually a flower that never opens or doesn't open very easily. It, it actually requires the strong jaws of a bumblebee to open the flower and the bumblebee will crawl inside of it and maybe it'll spend the night in there um, or, or it'll come on out and, and move along, but that's how it gets pollinated, which I think is fascinating. It's a really neat looking flower. It's this kind of football shaped flower, cream colored. Um, and so I think there's some that are a bit more blue colored and very interesting native prairie plant that I would love to include in my yard, but I don't have one in my yard. I, I would try to though. I don't have either, but I've heard of yeah, people talking about it and just have bumblebee butts mm -hmm. sticking out of the flowers and stuff, which I've seen pictures of it. It's it's kind of cool, but like things, like, things like that are cool. There's probably a Facebook page called Bumblebee Butts, so <laughs> it's probably after the Transformer movie, maybe. I'm not sure, but hopefully it is the actual insect. Well, there is one that I ha I do also have in my yard, another late bloomer, 
And this is another one which I have really enjoyed having in the yard. And when it blooms, it is a fantastic fall blooming plant. And that is um, false sunflower or um, it's uh, Heliopsis helianthoides. And the cultivar name is Bleeding Hearts. There's a couple other cultivars that are also similar, similarly named like that. Um, but False Sunflower, Bleeding Hearts. This is one that I have had in my garden for the last couple of years. And I, the blooms are spectacular. The deer love to munch on these things though. And so I have my plants, I got tomato cages around them. I'm trying to protect them. Uh, deer still come in and so they keep munching on them um, but I am going to get blooms I did check the other day and the deer have decided to move along uh, and to stop trying to bother with my uh, pushing my tomato cages over to get to the flowers and so I do I will have blooms here in a little while but yeah we'll pop a picture that the the plant itself is really interesting it has these dark purple stems and very kind of dark green flowers and the or not flowers leaves dark green leaves. And then the flowers themselves are this sort of array of orange, red, deep purple. Uh, and they're big, they're broad. They're this big disc of flowers. And I I really like this one when it is in bloom. It's another one of those, even not in bloom, has still has ornamental peer, appeal with those dark stems and those interesting uh, green hued leaves. And then speaking of sunflowers, so I think when when typically when people think of sunflowers or think of the, the annual sunflowers of Helianthus annuus. Um, but there are some perennial type sunflowers. And I'll say for the most part, so these are usually blooming July, August, September, August, September, October, depending on the species. Uh, for the most part, these are rather aggressive. Uh, they spread by rhizomes. So in a home landscape, for the most part, you're probably not going to be doing perennial sunflowers unless you have a very large yard or you want nothing but perennial sunflowers, which yep. maybe you do, I won't judge. <laughs> uh, but there are, for, for my reading, and I haven't grown these, so I can't speak from personal experience here, but it sounds like there's two species, at least that are native to Illinois, there would be native to Illinois. They're a little less on the aggressive side, they, they will form clumps, and it may be something where you have to divide it every three or four years to kind of keep it under control, but they're not going to go crazy and and eat your entire yard like some of the other ones. Uh, that'd be the western or naked stemmed or few leaved sunflowers. So this kind of grows kind of like a little rosette, a little bit, maybe a little taller. Then it has these big, tall, bare flower stalks that it puts flowers out on. And again, they're not like what you think of as a typical sunflower, the giant um, heads and stuff. They look a little bit almost more like cosmos to me, which are related. Um, but it's still a sunflower, it still has the ray and, and disc flowers on it. Fairly adaptable for soils. It probably likes a little on the drier side um, for this one. And there's also swamp sunflower, um, which as the name implies, probably likes a little more of the, the wet side, but from what I've read, it can take some drier soils uh, as well. And this is another one that does not spread quite as readily. It is taller, though, like it's about five to eight feet tall. So that would be something to keep in mind, too. Uh, probably don't want to put it right next to your driveway next to the street. <laughs> Oh, come so on. You can, so you can see out of the driveway. But. No, it's just just let it flop over into the road. <laughs> yeah. So that, that would be another option, you know, if you want those. I think those two are, are more the August, September, October time frame for blooming. So if you want those sunflowers and you know, even with the annual sunflowers, if you do your succession planting, you could probably get those blooming up until frost um, mm -hmm. if you stagger those plantings too. 
and for, and for these they're not the the perennial sunflowers they tend not to have the real big sunflowers it's still have the seeds but they're not as big as the ones we the annuals that we typically think of but smaller seeded but birds and stuff will we'll still visit and feed on the seeds and things like that I think it's always important to remember sunflower hails from North America originally, even though it's grown all over the world these days, mostly that annual one, but you can find native perennial sunflowers um, that used to be a part of our tall grass prairie landscape. So there's, I, I, there's a, a, there's a lot more flowering plants. I think this is probably just a smattering of them that we can get into. I know that there's some late blooming blazing stars out there um, and we didn't, say the m word today mum but you could go buy mums too if you really wanted wanted to go that route but there's that's mums is a whole other topic it's a whole industry yeah and those if you want to get those established plant those sooner rather than later the longer you can have them in the ground the better they'll establish still not going to guarantee they're going to survive the winter but the sooner you get them in the ground the the better chance you'll have of getting them uh, to make it through the winter yeah, ideally you want to plant those in the spring, so you've got a whole season. Yeah, and, and the whole they, growing season to get established. Because they can take work, they can take the whole growing season for establishment, and then if you want to get that mum, like ball, <laughs> you have to really prune and pinch and um, work at that and and fertilize and and there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into making those those round mum potted plants in the fall and. It, growers that's some some big large-scale greenhouses that's like all they do is they they grow mums every year and then maybe they grow something else for the springtime uh and so that that's about it and it, it's a lot of work yeah autumn joy sedum oh yeah that's we a know. good one i got one of those i do have an autumn joy sedum it flops around because i always forget to pinch it to to set it back which you should pinch in about June, because if you don't do that, if I pinch right now, I'd, I'd remove all the flower buds that have already been set. Yeah, I usually pinch mine. I did not pinch them this year. Usually I do it even twice. I pinch them, keep them nice and compact. But So I'm sure mine will be flopping everywhere. These are very attractive to flies, right? The flies, they like the sedum flowers. Flies, bees. I, in my yard, I mean, sometimes you can hear them buzzing from... Mm -hmm flies bees from 20 feet away they're absolutely covered in them yes yeah so pretty pretty nice pollinator plant a lot of people don't think of so one other thing there are some so typically for bulbs when we think about bulbs or anything about spring blooming bulbs that we're planting in the fall uh, but there are some that will actually bloom in the fall so that'd be another option um, i know most of the stuff we've talked about is native species but there are some some fall blooming bulbs so there's autumn crocus Saffron crocus would be another one. So that can be a twofer there. You can get your grow your own saffron and you'll quickly understand why it's so expensive yep. if you grow your own. Uh, cyclamen, there's a hardy cyclamen that we could grow outdoors here in Illinois that blooms in the fall. And there's also uh, an autumn daffodil um, as well. So if you want more of a yellow flower instead of purples like all the other ones, um, you could plant that. And we've got a good growing article on that. We'll put in the show notes that you can read more about all of those. 
Well, that was a lot of great information about fall blooming plants. Uh, as we said, minus maybe the mum, uh, which everyone seems to reach to. So hopefully we gave you some alternatives to um, just that, you know, the mum and some of these are perennials, of course, and they, well, all of these we've talked about are perennials. And so they'll, they will come back each and every year. Be floral nectar, be floral and nectar resources for your pollinators, your garden, it'll look lovely, give you that year-round seasonal blooming time and uh, it's just a joy to watch so the good growing podcast is a production of university of illinois extension edited this week by ken johnson and a special thank you to ken for hanging out with me to talk about fall blooming plants thank you ken for chatting about what we have coming up in our own backyards this year yes thank you i've got got some more plants i need to try out now so add those to the list See if I can find them on sale that are still healthy. Yeah, those whole sale racks there get you. <laughs> and uh, let's do this again next week, or maybe the week after. Oh, we shall do this again, probably the week after. Uh, we are going to head off to a national conference in faraway Iowa, where we will um, learn all about what our colleagues are doing around the country. And so uh, uh, we will we'll probably take a little bit of a break here next week. Uh, we might give you a small garden bite, though, to munch on uh, until we get back. So listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.